and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. And my guest today is Eric E. Johnson, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. And we're going to be talking about Eric's Museum of Intellectual Property, which is absolutely fabulous and actually inspired me to create my own mini museum of intellectual property here in in Kentucky but Eric is the Eric's the original and so <laughs> excellent <laughs> and so I wanted to talk to him about the museum how it came into existence how he uses it and thinks about it and how it relates to his teaching and and scholarship so welcome Eric to the thank podcast. you very much <laughs> Excellent to be here. Yeah, yeah. So let's just start with the beginning. Um, maybe describe the museum to my listeners and say a little bit of something about how it came into existence. How did it get started? Like, what were the first things you started collecting and why and and so on? Sure. I was teaching patent law as an adjunct at Whittier Law School in California I think I was looking, I was reading, we were reading the cases, and I thought, you know, I may have some of this stuff lying around my garage, which, you know, does not uh, bode well for the state of my garage. You know, I didn't even have a garage at that point in my life. Whatever, laying around in a box or something? Okay, so, uh, uh, yeah, I found, uh, I, I found some golf balls at a thrift store that were, that were talked about in a case. I think I found a wrench in my tools. Uh, and, you know, I don't think I had a big grand plan, but once, once, you know, you get carried away with an idea. So I just got, you know, what else can I get? What else that would be, I think it's great to be able to look at something. Case books are, mm. are hard, man. They mm -hmm. have no pictures. It's just words. They don't even have pictures on the cover. Like if you get a math book. At least you get the obligatory skyscraper on the front. Like, you can build a skyscraper if you learn math. With a casebook, you get nothing. You just get, you know, the... So, I, I think it's fun to have something tangible to look at. And so, once I started doing that, it... And here's the thing about having a museum of intellectual property. It's really easy compared to having a museum of any other kind of law. Because intellectual property is stuff that can be reproduced. The whole reason we have intellectual property mm -hmm. law is to have an artificial legal barrier to stop people from reproducing something. By definition, intellectual property comes in when something can be easily reproduced. So these are things that have been on the market. They're findable in thrift stores, they're findable in antique malls, sometimes mm -hmm. they're findable in your garage, <laughs> or of course eBay is where I've gotten most of the stuff. And mm -hmm. I. I, someone asked me where I got my stuff for my museum, and I said, well, I've got most of it on eBay. He was very disappointed. He, well, that's, that's, that's too easy. <laughs> well, what, you know, I'm going to spend my whole life in antique malls to just, just to make it hard, just to have the pleasure of suffering. I, I, so. yeah. Anyway, um, so in, in a couple of ways, it's, it was easy to do that compared to, other collections, I think, because now there's eBay and, and because intellectual property by its very nature, you're talking about things that have been mass reproduced. Uh, nonetheless, I think that it is a service 
to students and to people to, to have, you know, people can't visit to, for people to have the, have the pictures to be able to, to see it, try to take some good clean pictures. Mm. And it's fun to have a mini field trip for the students and, and to be able to see this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think it fires the imagination. I've always thought, I'll let you ask a question at some point, Brian. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I've always uh, uh, always thought that um, the facts are the most important part of the case. Mm -hmm. Students, law students, I think, tend to start trying to get past the facts as quickly as they can to get to the statement of black letter law, the holding. Mm -hmm. But it's the facts that motivate that. And looking at a tangible artifact is the best way of engaging with the facts. Yeah, no, I have had the same experience, and it's one of the reasons that I found the idea of sort of programmatically pursuing, finding the actual objects at issue in cases, so inspiring, right? Because, as you say, I found that students often don't want to grapple with the nature of the actual object we're talking about. And when you put it in their hands, they they can't help it, right? So True. it's like they're they're looking at it and all of a sudden they have to be like, oh, this is a real tangible product that we're talking about, not just some abstraction. There's and... got to be something to fight over. Our whole system of law is based on resolving disputes. It's not about creating doctrine in the abstract. It mm. can't be done that way. Mm. The so, whole common law system assumes that. It has to be driven by facts. It has to be driven by the personalities of the parties and something that they care about, that they want to fight over. Mm. And students need to confront that to really <laughs> to really get into yeah. it. Yeah. So in building your collection, did you find your curatorial choices driven primarily by the cases you were teaching in class or by things you found interesting uh, on their own right, or a little bit of both? I started trying to get objects from the cases I was teaching, but then I realized that's not the best way to do it, or it wasn't the way I wanted to do it, because that's really driven by the case book, a particular case book. So I started looking for objects from important cases, the, the leading cases, that drove the doctrine, mm. and I tried to look for objects that represented something about intellectual property, even if they weren't part of a case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could describe a few of the things that you found and that you or that you pursued, and why it was that you wanted to add particular things to your collection. Well, the thing that I. I immediately wanted was a sign from the Traffics case, T-R-A-F-F-I-X, uh, which is a Supreme Court case. There was a road sign. These are the huge orange signs you see by the side of the interstate when they're doing construction and the sign will say, uh, workers ahead, or slow down, something like that. These huge uh, fabric, plastic, orange signs. And they aren't permanently set into the ground. So they have to have very wide legs, but they can also blow over in the wind. So this one firm came up with a 
spring design, so the, the bottom of the sign was held up not by columns, but by bendable springs, two springs. It was the dual spring design. They had a patent on it. The patent expired. So this rival firm, Traffic, started manufacturing the dual spring signs, and the, the other firm sued them. And the uh, cause of action that they offered was trademark. People have started to associate the dual spring design with our, our sign, so it's a reputational advantage that we have. This is a really important concept that brings trademark and patent together. So mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting for both fields and helps to show how these things intersect. Trademark and patent and copyright, right of publicity, are all very distinct causes of action. They're all very distinct doctrines. But in the minds of businesses, they just want to shut down a competitor who's copying. So they'll grab whatever's off the shelf. And this is, this is one of those cases that illustrates that. So I want to get one of those signs. So I, I called up, um, this is not something you can buy on eBay or find in your garage. Mm -hmm. So I called up Traffics and I asked them if they had a, a model of one of these signs. Because they're huge. I yeah. just want a little model and want to buy it. And so I spoke to the uh, the person who picked up the phone, and she said, "No, I don't think I have such a thing." But let me let me put you through to our boss. I end up on the phone with the CEO <laughs> of Traffics. He is excited to talk to me because what I realized is that when uh, a medium, small, medium-sized business takes one of these cases to the Supreme Court, that is the biggest thing they're doing. I mean, that is yeah. a huge battle. Yeah, they are they are. Uh, all in on something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was very happy to talk to me about it. Told told me his story of the litigation. He he said that uh, you know when when I realized we we're going to the Supreme Court, I thought, well, I want to find. Uh, I'm going to get the best lawyer. <laughs> so I asked around and I found this Supreme Court litigator named John Roberts. So I hired him. <laughs> yeah. No way! I didn't even realize John Roberts. Wow. Yes, he argued the traffic's case. You should listen to it off of Oye. Uh, Wow. You know, it has all the audio for the, he was an amazing yeah. Supreme Court litigator, uh, superlative job. Anyway, uh, so traffics, I said, so after hearing all these stories and, and stuff, I said, well, you know, I'd really love to have a little model of the sign, like a sales model or demonstration. He said, well, we don't have anything like that, but I'll send you a sign. <laughs> so uh, a couple weeks later, this thing comes delivery. It's like in three different boxes. Oh wow! It is enormous. <laughs> um, what is? It's, I don't know. It's probably like five, six feet across, wow. up and down, and wow. then you know. So anyway, that's that's my biggest item. <laughs> uh, What's the smallest item in the museum? Do you think? No, 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 no. I have. Uh, some golf balls. I have, I have a, I have a pin from, oh, what is that case? It's a trademark case. It's a little mm. lapel pin. Ah. Whatever. I have, I have, I have a lot of. You have quite a large bags. collection. I think I have about 200 and, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> were there, were there any other items in the collection that you were especially excited to find or were especially difficult? to find i've got the air pirates comic book wow. which, which i'm pretty proud of um because yeah those are rare yeah and you're competing against comic book collectors yeah. who are brutal yeah 
So to get in there and get that, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. That depicts Mickey Mouse smuggling dope and it's a lot of... Other unsavory with, things. Uh, uh, unsavory stuff. <laughs> and that was a Ninth Circuit case uh, on copyright um, uh, fair use. So that was, that was pretty neat. Um, yeah, I have uh, a Qualitex press pad. Nice. So you can get up close and personal and see the Qualitex uh, green gold color, <laughs> which must be experienced in person. Yeah, I love that case. I got an old Betamax VCR. Doesn't work, but that is uh, that is heavy. That is yeah. very hard to schlep around. That is very hard to move. Uh, but it's. It, I think it's interesting to see the size of it and feel the weight of it and see how. Um, it's like, you know, it's like a tank mm. and, and difficult to use. And it's just amazing to think that the motion picture industry saw this as something that was going to kill yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, like an existential threat. And then it yeah. turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah, there. sure, because it made their whole library of movies uh, into a new revenue stream, yeah. which gave them a whole new reason to try to keep uh, extend copyright and keep it going. But it forever. must make it so much more real for your students to see what an actual Betamax player looks like and what the tapes look yeah, like. I think and... so. I think it, it helps in all kinds... Well, it has to help in all kinds of ways that you can't put into words. Mm -hmm. Because if you could put them into words, you wouldn't need the artifact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are there are there objects in the museum that you've been interested to acquire or that you're looking to acquire because uh, yes. of their relation to your scholarship? Not so much because of their relation to my scholarship, mm -hmm. no. But there are things you're particularly looking for? Yeah, there's some things I'm working on. Yeah, like, for example... Well, I don't know that I should say that. Ah, okay, yeah. keep, keep it secret so yeah, the, the yeah. market doesn't... Well, die. you know, that is true. The market can... Uh, <laughs> also don't, I also don't want to set, you know, uh, set myself up for disappointment. Uh -huh. but, but, yeah, I've got a large amount of stuff now, so I'm really working on some targeted things that are, mm. that are hard to get. Uh, but I've got, some, I've got some really old things. I've got... Um, Got the book from Folsom B. Marsh. Oh, so really? From the 1700s. Very cool. Um, oh, I, I have a... Uh, something's just come to you. Like mm. my mother-in-law got me a fake Rolex watch when she came <laughs> from China that she purchased off the streets of Shanghai. So that's wow. a nice, nice... That's a nice representative object. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, I feel like some of that stuff that I would love to actually see the object is just... I don't know if I do have the book from Folsom B. Marsh. Now I got the computer here. I don't. I have... Uh, that's wrong. I, Millar versus Taylor. Ah. Ah. 1769. Wow. Wow. No, I... Folsom B. Marsh I want. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, so, some things I feel like, you know, when they when they got suppressed, it's just really hard to find the original thing. Like, I always wanted to find a, a bottle of, uh, of second... Was it Second Chances by Tehran? You know? The... Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's yeah. Like... Some things got killed early, and they. So one thing that I I can't find pretty much given up on at this point is uh, the cat is not in the hat. Mm. The O.J. Simpson parody right. as the Dr. Seuss book, like that is just really tough. That's nowhere that I could find. Mm. I did get a uh, a Three Stooges print. <laughs> there's no, I don't think there's so many of those. No, no. Actually, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine found that at a at a thrift store. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty lucky. I've been looking for one too, and they are they are hard to find. Yeah, they're a little hard to find. Yeah. Um, I've got a Franklin Ace One Thousand uh, <laughs> Apple II, Apple Two clone. Nice. 
Nice. Wow, that's a cool one to see too. I imagine. Yeah. Comparing it to the actual Apple too is is they they really do look the the circuit boards look almost identical. Well, I haven't opened them up. Yeah. See, I should open them up and take some pictures. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, yeah. Wow, very. Yeah, nice. I think I have. I think I. It was prone to want to collect something because my dad always collected things. When I was a little kid, he had a collection of beer cans that mm. took up an entire room of our basement. He, he's not a beer drinker, mm. but he liked the cans, the graphic design, and he 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 built these special shelves to, to collect all these beer cans. And once he got them all, then then he just he sold them all off, <laughs> and he started collecting old general store merchandise to try to recreate the general store that he grew up in in Arkansas. Mm. Uh, so I always admired his collections and and uh, the ability to to have your imagination fired about being in a, being in a different place in time. You know, one of America's best free amusements is antique malls. Mm-hmm. To just to just go there and, and walk around and see stuff. Go there with your kids and mm-hmm. talk about, you know, your, your parents used to have this. Or now, increasingly, it's things that I had when I was a kid. But uh, Yeah, the objects really tell stories in fascinating ways. And I think that's one of the reasons I love your museum concept so much is that it's like they're objects, like so many other objects, they tell stories, but these ones tell really focused and directed stories mm-hmm. in that each one was the subject of a really, like a pitched battle, as it were. Yeah, and and it, some of them that aren't very old, it's instructive that they're not very old. Mm. I think you read cases in a case book and you get this sense of, it's history. It all blends together. Mm-hmm. If it's from 1969 or or uh, 2001 or 1832, once it gets into the same font in the casebook, it just looks like dead letter. Mm-hmm. And then you look at some of these things and you realize, well, this is this is not that long ago with a lot of these things, and mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. see how they were worth fighting over. Or... Yeah. Are there any objects that when you acquired them, you were surprised by the object itself or that you felt like having the physical object really changed your experience of the case in a way that was meaningful in terms of teaching or understanding it? I don't know. I don't know. That's a hard... This is why people come into an interview with bullet points of points they're <laughs> going to try to make. I, I don't know. That's hard. Or ones that you were particularly happy to find? Well, you know, lots of them I was, I was happy to find. Um, I like, uh, I like uh, my generic beer cans. Ah. Yeah. Before there were store brands, there was generic. This was a, this was a trend for a while in the 80s to try that, to like save the money. Yellow, the yellow cans with the black letters on yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I got a couple of those. I think that that helps to tell a story, even though that's not from a case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a story about trademark and distinctiveness. I mean, in a weird way, it, it was incredibly distinctive, and I remember that. Yeah, I know. It's so weird because so much of that generic packaging would be a great trademark in, in the sense of being inherently distinctive. Yeah, yeah. It, and I've looked at those cans, and I've, I've tried to see, well, were they trying to claim this? And they weren't, which is, as it should be, if they're mm-hmm. going to say it's generic, then it really should be generic. But the, all the manufacturers had a different look 
of their generic product. So in many ways, it wasn't really generic. Yeah, yeah. It that was, was kind of ironic, isn't it, really? It I is. I mean, it's like distinctively generic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I got my uh, Swiss Navy um, oh. knife that I purchased <laughs> on the streets of New York. You know, Switzerland doesn't have a Navy because they're yeah. landlocked. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a funny one. That was someone who was trying to not run afoul of the Swiss Army. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they just picked Swiss Navy. Swiss Navy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. So you just always have your eyes peeled for when you see... I do. I've picked things up in stores. Yeah. I have, just uh, not not so much for historical value or because they're with a case, unless it's in an antique mall, but that's very rare. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes you th- find things that are really illustrative. <laughs> okay. Oh, I guess one of the my favorite things that I picked up was the uh, cylinder from Festo. Ah. I got one one from SMC the uh, and one from Festo. Yeah, I always wondered about that. I mean, yeah. like when they describe it in the case i honestly have a very hard time yeah it's something you cannot understand without looking at the picture once you you see the picture you can imagine how it works yeah yeah a lot of things are like that it's it's, are they large or small no they're they're about the size of your arm Uh the ones that i have i Uh imagine they could come in many different different sizes yeah wow yeah that would be really helpful to have i would imagine i mean i've seen photographs but i feel like even like bringing in the object would be that much more helpful yeah it is it's interesting Cool. Where did you find that? Oh, got it off of eBay. It's not that great of a story. <laughs> I found some. I, I've got probably my one of my favorite items is the Pro CD set. Oh wow! Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wouldn't yeah, it? and I got it from from 1996, which I think would would have been the the one that Seidenberg had. Uh-huh. Um, and, and anyone who's read Pro CD versus Eidenberg, well, at least 99% of people who read it are agog. It's <laughs> a horrible, horrible case. I can't stand it. Always gets me going, which is good. It's a good teaching case, I guess, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for that reason. Now, I've had one object that a couple people have requested to borrow. I think maybe one for use in litigation. Uh huh. But it's I've learned it's not a good idea to lend these things. Out. Oh no. I did lend one out and haven't had one that. thing and haven't gotten it back. But Uh-oh. the but the thing that I did not lend out that some people have wanted me to send to them is the um, sports tracks pager from Motorola versus NBA. Yeah, those are hard to find. Yeah, yeah, they are hard to find. Uh, but yeah, the little pager that would tell you sports scores that was going to destroy. The sports leagues, and they lost that battle, but I think they're increasingly winning the war mm. with uh, trying to control all forms of reporting about mm. them themselves, led by the NFL. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. I've always wanted to have one of those, but I haven't been able to find one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know the uh, uh, nagel print on the tile. I got that. Oh wow! From ART. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 interesting to look at it because yeah, the the whole idea there was someone these these Nagel prints. If you've seen the cover of Duran Duran's Rio album, mm-hmm. that's one of the Nagel prints. So, <laughs> uh, very very popular in the eighties. Instantly, you know, it's icon eighties yeah. uh, illustration. So they the uh, defendant got these 
coffee table books and then just razor bladed the pages out and took each page and mounted it on a ceramic tile. Why? I don't know. <laughs> ceramic tiles are really hard to hang on a wall because yeah. they're heavy yeah. and they're breakable. Man, I found one of those. It's it's weird. It's interesting. It you know allows you to see what exactly it was that they were yeah, doing. Yeah, and it well that's the thing that once you look at it, you still don't understand. <laughs> Why would anyone want this? Yeah, they that's can... not to slam Patrick Nagel. It's just that mounting it on the um, on the tile on a tile is I never is really got that either. Pretty yeah. weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but helpful to see what it really looks like. Because really, I mean, so much of that case is about describing what it was that they were doing and asking whether or not that was a derivative or transformed the underlying work. In yeah, are you just, you're just doing what you're doing with the copy that you own? Or right. have you made a derivative work? And you really do need to yeah. to, to see the thing, to have, have a sense of it. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, you talk about curating things. Um, so I had the whole collection out at the University of North Dakota library. Mm-hmm. We had a big building renovation, so I had to, I had to pack it up. And uh, I, now I've moved down to the University of Oklahoma. But a lot of it's in boxes. And I and so I'm, I'm putting in a new display at the University of Oklahoma. In a, you know, in a few months, come 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 see it. It's in, it'll yeah. be in the library. Uh, but I've, I've, I've opened up some boxes and I've had some damage. Oh no. I'm embarrassed to say I had a can of, uh, Canfield's diet chocolate fudge soda that froze. Oh no. Exploded. Oh no. Some other things. (laughs) Um, yeah. So you're interviewing me about this. I feel in some ways kind of bad as having not been a great steward of some of these <laughs> objects that have gotten a little bit of damage. Yeah, yeah, well, we need... I really regret. It's, you know, museum curation's a real thing. It's yeah. hard. And I, I've tried to learn little bits here and there. I wish there was a course I could take. There are some things that I will... I, I bought some of those white gloves, you know? Mm-hmm. There are some things that I try to handle with the the gloves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we should we should establish like a code of best practices. We, yeah, I know we do. Yeah, <laughs> you should. Because <laughs> you should. I'm sure some of your friends can. Yeah, I, um, I'm just I'm terrible. You could you you, you could bring me up on charges in front of the ethics board for the first thing for. Um, uh, yeah. But like that. Oh man, that that uh, diet chocolate. Uh, fudge soda Canfields. I don't think I'm ever going to get another yeah, one of those. I mean, that's, find, that was yeah. really lucky to get yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I still have the can. It's a little, you know, it's a little damaged. It's mm. still what it is. But mm. yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, again, I commend you on the museum, which I hope to be able to visit in person. Well, sometime. thanks. Yes. And, uh, and I really, I hope that other intellectual property scholars and interested parties will pursue their own curatorial efforts in the way that you have because or a more responsible way (laughs) because i really think that you know it reflects a kind of a vision of intellectual property law and what it means and the storytelling around intellectual property law and of course you've done people the service of putting images of many of the objects you've collected on online 
Um, so we'll go ahead and direct people to the website so they can... Museumofintellectualproperty.org. Yeah. So yeah, can... so it took, took, took me a lot, a lot of time to... And there's, there's, there's more that needs to go up there, but trying to get good, clean photos of things on a white background is uh, time-consuming. Sweat of the brow. It's not very creative. <laughs> <laughs> but it does it does take some time, but yeah. uh, you know that's that's available for anyone's slideshows yeah. and yeah. Well, I know that I've taken much advantage very good. of your photographs and shared them with my students, and uh, I look forward to sharing them with my listeners. So thank excellent, you, thank you so much, Eric. It's thank you, Brian. All right. Um.